A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improved jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, Alarmy. Before we get started, we wanted to make sure you heard the big news. The Alarmist has joined Patreon. Patreon subscribers will get access to our content ad-free, as well as our aftermath post-interview discussion and final verdict. We'll also be putting out additional bonus episodes and other fun stuff. Here's a preview of Guest Alarmist, where I step aside and let a guest walk us through a personal tragedy, and together the Alarmist crew figures out who's to blame. This month on Guest Alarmist, Georgia Mishak discusses the impeachment of President Georgia. This, this is about 20 years in the making. I have been looking for the answer to this thousands of dollars spent in therapy oh wow <laughs> but, but today who knew all i needed was was a podcast, a podcast a platform yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't, yeah, don't start with therapy start, start, podcast. start with a podcast. podcast yes yes go to patreon.com slash the alarmist and subscribe today now on to our episode each week we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy and each week you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Aftermath. Today we're speaking with guest expert, Professor Patricia Gill. Pat is a film scholar and was a professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign's communication department. Let's hear what she has to say about Halloween the movie. Hi, Pat. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. This should be fun. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes, we're excited for a good time. We're, we've been focusing on the first Halloween movie. What do we know about Michael and his troubled past? Well, that's a really good question because nobody knows <laughs> about Michael. Um, <laughs> we, but I mean, this is one of the 
this is a, um, a question that gets asked over and over again online about this. Like, what, why can't Dr. Loomis figure out what's happening? What we do know about Michael uh, is that he's a troubled kid. Um, he wants some attention. He is upset with his parents. Uh, and no one does pay attention. I mean, you know, Halloween is a is interesting and bizarre because it is based on the premise that on Halloween, parents get up and go off, bunches of parents get up and go off for parties and leave their kids home alone. I mean, which is not generally what you think of as Halloween. You think of parents taking their kids for trick-or-treating. So already the premise is sort of odd. Um, but here we are, Michael I mean, is left alone with his sister who is upset because she does not, she wants to be at a party. She ignores him, she finds him, a, and he's already a troubled child. And so he, he kills her. Yeah. It's very tragic. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> who um, can you tell us a little bit about Dr. Loomis? Uh, do we know why he hasn't been able to rehabilitate Michael? Well, boy, he certainly would like to know why he, he articulates this himself. <laughs> he goes, why can't I do this? There is something deeply problematic with him. And he's he's unwilling to say it is not psychological. He, I mean, he's, not, he's, not, he's unwilling to say this is just something that he was born with, like a head injury or something. He just feels that this child is like the spawn of Satan almost, is just born evil. There is something missing in Michael and that is a conscience. Um, and, uh, and he is a focused child. He wants attention. He wants what he wants. Um, and he is unable to articulate that the only way he can articulate what he feels is through violence. So Dr. Loomis is worried because he's a psychoanalyst, psychoanalyst. So usually he does not believe in this kind of stuff. And and he's portrayed as the personification of evil, or at least he's, he's, he's talked about as the personification of evil. In, in terms of the horror genre at the time, was this a new concept? Well, there have been evil things ever since the beginning, you know, there, uh, and there have been kids who have saved the day. Um, it's, it's not entirely new. They're, they're, you know, Steve McQueen, you know, fought off the blob in the 1950s. I mean, so there have been, but personal horror like this, but somebody who's totally evil usually is incarnated as a vampire or a zombie um, and not a child. Um, so, although, you know, we, we do have the exorcist where the devil comes through as a, in a child and you've got a, you know, a, what is it? How old was she? Eight year old saying your mother sucks cocks in hell. So that's yeah. pretty horrible. Um, so yes, the, Dr. Loomis feels that this child was born without a conscience or something, or something horrible happened to him that erased it and that the, what all this child is, is just raw desire um, and anger. Mm. And you touched on this a little bit earlier, but why do you think the film takes place in Halloween? What is the significance? I've been mulling this over since you gave me, you know, these questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it is interesting because people disguise themselves as horrible beings and, um, uh, often as ghosts, as goblins, as others. Um, and I mean, 
every so often you'll see little princesses, but in general, <laughs> this, is all, this is, you know, Halloween's <laughs> supposed to be scary, all hollows. And um, so it is perfect to have somebody who is a terror walking around terrifying kids who themselves are just playing with terror. So I don't know, um, somebody else asked that years and years ago to the directors and the writers, and they just thought, we thought it was perfect. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot. So. Now, Halloween is, is one of the first horror films to be part of the teen slasher subgenre of horror. Absolutely. How it, so how did, how did it change or, or influence horror movies that followed it? Oh, my gosh. It was groundbreaking. I mean, um, this where the teens have to come and save the uh, teens coming and saving the days, like I said, took place in the 1950s. In part, it was a recuperative gesture because people were very, very worried about um, teen delinquency as, you know, rebel without a cause, um, for example. And um, they there there seemed to be a movement in, in Hollywood to say, wait, teens are good. They can, you know, they can protect people. And so they're, you know, it's... It was a change from the Mickey Rooney, Judy Garland, I know, let's put on a show to save the world, to I know, let's kill the monster to save the world. And and uh, and it really was a redemptive move. Uh, and I, I can't really say that people were thinking this through in Hollywood, but it seemed, did seem to be a redemptive move showing the kids aren't that bad. Juvenile delinquency, which was the new word back in the 50s and 60s, was somehow being modulated by these wonderful uh, kids defending life and liberty. So Halloween seems to be a reaction against that. Now, kids are kind of scary. Um, they're <laughs> selfish. <laughs> they're murderous. Um, and we should worry about them. Uh, uh, but and also, parents don't look so good in this, too. As you know, my argument is that parents just abandon their kids. And... <laughs> You're giggling over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just because you know we we discussed how we we, we did we we did find that very odd for the very reason that you said that usually you think about parents joining their kids, taking their kids out to Halloween. And we were trying to remember, like even in the eighties, did our parents drop us off? I guess, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I, I I guess that was more likely to happen. But like nowadays, it feels like an unthinkable uh, uh thing right <laughs> right well when i was a kid um parents there would be one parent and he'd be the volunteer for the neighborhood to take the kids around you know um this is we're talking the 50s late 50s yeah. here and um so uh there was usually a parent although there were if, if there were older brothers and sisters um unlike michael's sister uh they would be out there taking care of the kids and the kids would be out there trick-or-treating and there would always be somebody who gave you cookies and someone who gave an apple who crushed and throw the apple in the bag and crush the cookies so i remember that was the that was the biggest damage on halloween that i remember mm. <laughs> so uh but this halloween is on the really unlikely premise that parents don't take their kids out. There's no trick-or-treating or hardly any. Um, and all the parents out there at a party someplace. I don't know about your parents. You're younger than I am, but my parents didn't go out and party on, on <laughs> Halloween, you know? 
Yes, we found that very confusing. But I feel like you have uh, explained a very important piece of the puzzle, which is that there was a designated parent that was sent to take the kids. And then the uh, who knows? I mean, maybe from the kids perspective, they were just thinking that, oh, they're all out partying. I mean, they probably were home, the, the parents who weren't sent to to uh, trick or treat. But, right. <laughs> you know, it is a it is a very interesting uh, just uh, reflection on the time. It is. There is a kind of, um, for me, there's a kind of uh, an attack on the parents, a covert attack on the parents for not being there. And also a, um, a well, in this one, Michael is the horror. In most of the other teen slasher films, the parents are just gone and the kids are being slashed by some sort of unruly guy that the parents killed earlier and he comes back and haunts them. That would be Freddy. Um, mm. But, uh, you know, so, but parents are to blame in the later teen slasher films. This one is the, this is the inception of teen slasher, but that there's a big change after that. Wow. Now, I'd like to talk about the, the uh, main teens in the, in the film um do you think there's a, a reason that annie linda and Lori are targeted by michael from the the start why why them or well yeah i think one they're sis they're probably friends of his sister um and two they are uh feckless teenagers who don't care. I mean, um, if you, the, the, the kids who do get slayed in there are kids who are, you know, um, being with their boyfriends instead of taking care of the kids. So they're being bad parents, <laughs> as ah. it were. Or, or, you know, in they're being uh, bad, certainly bad babysitters. The kids don't have any, are, are not being taken care of. Um, I got, I got blasted by, I forgot which director who said that I was saying that um, our, our heroine uh -huh. <laughs> uh, um, is, is there because she's a good girl and she's virginal. And I did not mean that. And I didn't really don't think I suggested that in my work. What I'm saying is that she was, she did take care of the kids. She acted right. as a parent. She's the only really good parent in the whole darn movie. <laughs> and um, she's taking care of them. She's protecting them. Uh, and it is not because she's a virgin or she doesn't have a boyfriend. It's because she's responsible. And oh. Now, do you think that it's an allegory for bad parenting? Absolutely. That's my argument in my teen slasher film argument. Mm, and wow. it's been... if. If in fact um, the uh, we, there's a system here that tells you how many people have cited your your article, and I've written articles on other things. Generally, you know, teen slasher films is sort of a lark, but that's been cited 841 times. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Who the heck? It must be that they're counting the same person. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep coming them. back to the article. <laughs> yeah, really. And as Jeff Hill says, yes. <laughs> As I've said a million times. Yes, anyway. Yeah, but no, my article is that teen slashers really did this. Um, and it really does start with um, A Nightmare on Elm Street, but moves to uh, Halloween starts it. But A Nightmare on Elm Street, where, where is the parents are gone, you know, and yeah. the kids are being attacked. Um, and, and he seems obsessed with babysitters. I mean, Michael just has this great oh, yeah. obsession with them. And uh, do we know where that stems from? 
Well, his sister, I really do yeah. think it is. He killed his sister. And that was, I, obviously, it was a pleasurable experience. I mean, he's standing there with a knife and he's not looking horrified. He doesn't look exactly self-satisfied either. But when when you see that, the, the early part where you see him stabbing his sister or, and there's a dripping knife. And uh, it was like, yep, that's the way to do it. That's what you felt he was saying wow. at age yeah. six. You know, and Dr. Loomis is really that there's just something missing there. You know, there uh, a conscience, for example, there's anger there. It, it, it's almost an animal response. I want this. I want that. I want love. And he's not getting it from their parent, the parents who are just willing to leave a disturbed child with their teenage uh, daughter and go off to, you know, party central. So mm-hmm. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Now, it, sexual repression uh, or, or just sex in general seem, seems to be a major theme in the movie. What, what are they trying to tell us when it comes to this? Does it play at all into Michael's psychosis? Well, you know, I don't know. I mean, because. Um, there's no indication that Michael knows his sister has been fooling around if she has. Um, uh, I wouldn't argue that like, I, it, it is pretty clear that Lori is probably a virgin you know, in this uh-huh. movie um, and not terribly happy about it. If this movie, uh, I mean, this was the beginning of teen slasher films, but none of them worked on the premise of the virginal teen after that if and i don't think her virginity was highlighted it was just that she was she would have liked to have been on a date she would have liked to be with someone but she took but she isn't and but she takes her responsibility seriously so she's an adult she's a good right and those who are attacked uh her friends who are attacked are uh, are having sex are distracted from their role of babysitting or whatever they're supposed to be doing exactly Um, yeah. Okay. Like they that, let the kids go and they don't pay attention and they don't let them even answer the doors to the other kids who are, you know, uh, trick or treating. So no, they are very, they are in fact growing up. If had they lived, they'd grow up to be very bad parents. Mm, oh, interesting. Wow. Now uh, the, the town Haddonfield, Illinois, uh, that's where the movie takes place. It's an important part of the film. How, how do you think that the idea or the myth of the suburbs plays into the horror of this movie? Well, being here, living in the midst of the suburbs in Illinois, um, 
<laughs> looking out at the state at the park um uh out my window yeah uh and of course there is no Haddonfield Illinois but I think two of the people knew either knew Illinois I can't remember the reason why they picked Illinois but they they did wanted to pick a midwestern town um that seemed to be like what you think of as a happy family town and show that it isn't, you know, that that this kind of horrible things can happen even in the heartland, which I think was very clever them to do. Um, I do, I mean, I'm looking at my street and I, I mean, Lori could be walking down at any minute. Um, it's that kind of a street here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I think they did pick Illinois as, you know, the, to play out the kind of Midwestern mythos of of being sort of converts conservative and family oriented and all and um uh and and showing that it can happen here too. <laughs> oh, interesting! Bad parenting happens in the suburbs as well. That's right. It mm -hmm. isn't just. It's just not. It's not just the rich people in those big fancy cities out there. <laughs> oh yeah. Can you help us understand what's going on in the late 70s during that time period that might have had an influence on the themes of this movie? Well, I've been, I, I wish I could. I mean, I've been really thinking through this um, and my argument is saying, OK, why did this happen now? You know, what is um, and I go back to the 50s because uh, uh, in part. People were starting to worry about their teenagers in the 50s. And we have a series of movies with, you know, um, kids who don't know. And, you know, we've in Rebel Without a Cause, you know, he's going, Mom, you're saying that the, and the parents are intrusive. They want mm -hmm. to they, they won't let James Dean um, uh, uh, be who he is uh, and, you know, run off with Natalie Wood. Um, but they they they. Uh, they are interfering with his growing up. And he goes, you're telling me that, and you're telling me this, and you're tearing me all apart. And of course, that happens literally <laughs> later because the kids get torn apart. But um, uh, so it is, it's not teenage angst. Someone else interviewed me years ago and said, isn't this just like the 1950s? I go, it's the exact opposite. You know, teens aren't anxious. They're, um, they have no really um, adult woman and um in from from after halloween and um so i don't know i think it is a sort of attack on on the failure of parents to be there for their kids interesting i guess this would have been the generate in the the 70s it would have been the generation of the those kids from the 50s right the overbearing parents yeah, uh, right. of the 50s would then um grow up to be a more laissez-faire kind of parenting uh, style. Precisely. <laughs> Perfect. Yes. It's just the way, right. Um, and they're not there. And I mean, and of course, in the 60s, we have, which is the, the whole gap, right, um, is the 18-year-olds in the 60s in 1968, there are a lot of other things where kids were very concerned about their lives since, you know, uh, Fort yeah. Dead in Ohio. We can just start with that and move on to the, uh, to the war. Um, and so 18 year olds who, at least in New York, couldn't vote and couldn't drink, but could uh, go off and be sent to die for their country. So there were lots of protests. Their kids were very active and they were uh, and they appalled a lot of their parents who said, well, we had to go off to the war and we didn't make these claims. Um, so that's a whole generation that skipped my generation. Interesting. Skipped. Interesting. Yes. Um, it's almost like you were made to grow up 
so fast that you were uh, partying uh, in your later years, because that was mm-hmm. when you had the opportunity. <laughs> yeah, suddenly there you are. You're 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 an adult, and somehow. I don't know where the morality went, where the interest in the helping of others, where any, but boy, the parents of um, the 1980s and 90s pleasure films are just gone. Um, Now, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you think is important uh, when touching on and analyzing this movie? and what led Michael to commit these crimes? Well, the the what led Michael, who is a disturbed kid, I mean, he like he was born without something, a moral compass, for you know. So I mean, you're wondering if this is just psychological or not. The other the other thing, of course, is what we're, what I was talking about with the parents is that parents are now totally self invested. It's it's the you know the age of narcissism. And for for, par- for parents, so this is a child who is, I think, lacking from the beginning, and and that is Dr. Loomis's. He, he says he can't reach what's in there. There isn't anything there to reach. There isn't a moral compass. This child w- was is a kind of like a little animal with animal desires and needs. Oh, so, mm-hmm. um, so so and 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 he keeps coming back, uh, focusing on you know, uh. And on 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 our our hero her heroine all the way through. I mean, and at the very end, if you you know, there's a big discussion at the end when Michael is finally killed. Um, if if they're being, uh, well, I don't know. After 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 acting to reinvent and reestablish himself, when uh-huh. he is finally killed, there he's got tears. He's got a tear in his eye. Oh, yeah, it's a big argument there, and both of them, you know, interesting. <laughs> So I, I was wondering if you could help us understand what is psychoanalytic film theory and how can we interpret the events of Halloween through that lens? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> boy, psychoanalytic film theory is a way of looking at the way we look at things, um, how we perceive things, how the psyche is expressed through characters. There's Freudian psychoanalytic theory, my two that I know, are Freudian psychoanalytic theory and Lacanian. Lacan is what we call, we jokingly said at Cornell, we call it French fried Freud. And uh, and I am more of a Lacanian. Back in the day, I was a Lacanian, uh, which is so complicated that I I would put you to sleep just to talk about it. Here, let me digress for two two hours. Um, uh, But these theories, this particular, this kind of Freudian theory, my husband is a Freudian here in the the room, but... uh, is a way of under of understanding parents and relationships and um, needs and desires and how they get played out and what how the psychology which you know you're you're born you're you you have needs uh, regular animal needs of love and food and desire or or at least care and how that gets played out in a family structure mm. and it's hard for me to do a Freudian analysis of this because, I mean, we, we everyone does playfully do this, you know, say, okay, well, um, uh, these these characters are uh, bad parents. This is a bad mother and a bad father, and kids are re- responding to that because they have psycho- psychological needs, you know, um, and uh, they are not being fulfilled, 
the parents are not giving them the kind of nourishment, both emotional and and and, and sometimes physical nourishment that is necessary to to grow up to be a thinking, morally conscious uh, human being. But uh, and Lacan is is way more. <laughs> um, but and he talks about desire, uh, and I love mm-hmm. Lacanian theory, but. Um, really just to start talking about that you really would need like two or three hours and yeah, then you go, yeah. really is this true <laughs> you know? but yeah no I really do find him totally compelling and his notion of desire and how it gets played out can be you can be used to analyze this but I I, I actually like looking at it more as a a cultural critique because I think films do play that part and I think the earlier films in the 50s sort of restored um, teenagers uh, in certain ways and gave them um, a voice and and acknowledged their both their terror, their feelings, their hopes and their desires. And I think these films uh, talk about the lack of uh, um, especially at that um, after the after this first one, the lack of parental guidance. I mean, mm. there is at, at one point in one of the uh, one of the movies, um, the mother the mother is say the daughter say mom my god i have to keep staying awake because you know he comes through my dreams and he's going to kill us you know kill us and the mom is going oh, but i want to go off and play tennis i got a chance to go off and play tennis with this person who's really important um and and i want to go to the country club and the mother just gets bored and says mom you killed freddie and he's coming back to haunt us and you know that and the mom goes yeah 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 and then she finally just gets bored with her daughter and puts sleeping pills in the coffee so that she daughter wow. falls asleep she kills her daughter wow goes off to play tennis <laughs> yeah now i i i have a feeling i know what your answer is going to be for this but we always ask our guests question uh, our guest experts this final question at the end of the day if you had to pick a person or thing it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the murders that took place in halloween the movie who or what would that be? And, and Halloween the movie. Okay, this is very specific, so I can do this. Um, <laughs> let me see. It was a psychologically undeveloped child who responded with his animal desires and instincts. That's how I would put it. Is responsible wow. for that. Wow. I mean. It, so, I mean, he was born like that. The parents did not really address it. I think they were as fearful as anybody else about their kid. And Dr. Loomis was looking at a blank slate, looking at a horrible thing that there wasn't there. Something's missing. You know? <laughs> um, it's like you're looking at a car and you're like, there's no engine. You know, um, there's something missing in, in Michael. And, and he lasted forever. I mean, he is, uh, he became something... Right. Far more than just a human. <laughs> it's so interesting. It's the question of nature versus nurture. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you try and think you can uh, guide children <laughs> to, um, you know, be exactly. good. <laughs> but sometimes you just can't. Right. I mean, actually, you have now articulated Dr. Loomis's horrible discovery because that's not what he wanted to believe. But you and right. Dr. Loomis are now one. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I always thought I was more of the nurse telling him not to go into the uh, the psych ward. But Don't I do guess. It. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, thank you, Pat. Okay, thank you. This was fun. If you'd like to hear our post-interview discussion and final verdict, head over to Patreon and subscribe. Your support is greatly appreciated. Check out our show notes for a link or head over to patreon.com slash thealarmist. Hey, Alarmy, it's fact checker Chris here. Uh, if you are in or around the New York City area on Monday, November 6th, I wanted to personally invite you to my one-man show. It's called Acting in a Time Such as This, and it's a comedic take on being an actor in a world where there are so many terrible things going on all the time. Ah, I wrote it, I'm in it, and I would love to see you there. We'll put a link to the information in the show bio or check out my Instagram at ChrisChrisSmithSmith. Thanks. And stay tuned because next week we'll be discussing the downfall of WeWork. Head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.